0: Welcome to Consumer Choice Radio, broadcasting to you across North America on the Big Talker, 106.7 FM and Saga 960 AM. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. If you're listening live or if you've caught the podcast version over on ConsumerChoiceRadio.com, we appreciate every single one of you. I'm one half of your host, Yael Ososki, coming to you from an undisclosed location in the Austrian countryside, and I'm joined by David Clement who's uh, also in a place uh, we won't describe, but I guess it's somewhere in the vicinity of Toronto, Ontario. <laughs> David, how goes it?
1: Yes. Uh, it's going well. It's going well. It's week one of a federal campaign here, um, which has been not what people expected um, right off the bat. Lots of uh, lots of interesting developments. Um, the original idea was that Trudeau would, be able to walk away with the majority based on how he handled the pandemic, but that does not appear to be the case.
0: Yeah, it's strange, you know, to see a, a large democracy go to an election at this time. There's a lot of stuff that's happening. We talked about Australia last week, if you guys want to go back and listen to that episode and what's happening mm-hmm. there, and now an election in Canada. Oh, boy.
1: Yeah, and so, um, I mean, the, the story of the day right now is the doctored video that our deputy prime minister and finance minister tweeted out in regards to Aaron O'Toole's stance on on private health care. And so if you, um, if you haven't seen this, I'll give you the brief backgrounder. Basically what happened was uh, at some point in the leadership race for the conservatives, uh, O'Toole was asked about his position on private health care. And he kind of gave a long preamble basically saying that whatever system you have, it has to be universal um, and it has to be um, essentially taxpayer funded um, or that option available for everyone so that there's like that safety net. And then he proceeded to explain why it would be valuable to have more private sector uh, healthcare opportunities in Canada in terms of investment and wait times and all that jazz. And so they um, they tweeted a video that that completely erased the first 30 seconds of his answer and made it sound like he was all gung-ho about completely privatizing healthcare. care. Um, and be, there, the talking point was, can you believe he would say this in the middle of a pandemic? And um, obviously people on Twitter uh, quickly pointed out that they had doctored the video um, and kind of selectively edited it. And now Twitter uh, has actually put a disclaimer on the tweet saying um, that it is what they call um, manipulated media, uh, me, <laughs> meaning that it's it's purposely deceitful. Um, and so it comes with a disclaimer that's saying, you may not deceptively promote synthetic or manipulated media that are likely to cause harm. In addition, we may, we may label tweets containing... Synthetic or manipulated media to help people understand their authenticity and to provide additional context. Uh,
0: and note that they don't take the route of that they did with the early Trump tweets of saying like this is false. <laughs> like they haven't gone that far. They say it's manipulated media, yes. everybody. So look out for your manipulated media. Yeah,
1: it's. Um, I mean, this is really this is a really bad look for Kristia Freeland. Not only because she's the deputy prime minister, not only because she's the finance minister, not only because people have kind of widely considered her to be the front runner to take over when Trudeau leaves, whenever he does leave office. The thing that.
0: Not only because she's a huge proponent of modern monetary theory, uh, as he's written about, and is ready to unleash billions of dollars. The the thing that gets
1: me the most is that her career is as a journalist. Um, she was the former global editor at large for Reuters. Um, that is a incredibly prominent position in the world of journalism. And here we have her literally pumping out disinformation on um, mass with with probably a hundred thousand views uh, in the middle of an election. That um, I mean, what's what really gets me here is that under some of the laws that um, have been proposed under this liberal government that have not been passed yet but have been proposed, this type of behavior would be illegal. Um, so it's, it's just incredibly ironic. It's a terrible look for the liberals. It just makes them look like they are fully unprepared to actually have a campaign um, where they talk about ideas um, and, yeah, so it's, it, it, this is, it is not a good look right now. It's,
0: yeah, it's everything about caricatures. Yeah, right? it's
1: the, well, it's uh, what is O'Toole's position on abortion? It's like, well, he's been pretty clear about that. Oh, what about conscious rights for doctors? It's like he's been pretty clear about that, too. Now they're hitting the healthcare panic button. It's like, wait, aren't you guys supposed to be campaigning about why people should vote for you? I mean, that's what the other parties are doing. They're unveiling their platforms and talking policy and saying, hey, we want to do this about housing and this about senior care and yada, yada, yada. And some of it's bogus, but at least they're presenting ideas. Right now, the liberals just seem dead set on just throwing everything they can at the wall and seeing what sticks. And right now, nothing is sticking.
0: Well, it's funny that you mentioned uh, Christiana Freeland's previous position, uh, as a journalist, because those did her get her on the Bill Maher show, uh, which, you know, we're still angling for. We haven't gotten those invites yet, David. Um, I guess we need to spread a little bit more manipulative media and then we might get uh, might get that big invite. Uh not really sure. But you're you're definitely right. These are the kind of things that many people, um, those who might be in the Democrat Party in the US or the Liberal Party in Canada um, or even the Liberal Party of Australia. I mean, these are the things that people are gung ho about, mm-hmm. you know, having making sure that our elections are not manipulated. And but look, uh, pendulum swings both ways, man. If uh, you are putting out there some kind of manipulated information, if you are not fully quoting people, I mean, this stuff has been happening for years and years, and it always happens in campaigns. People take things out of context and run with it. There is groups worth tens of millions of dollars that will run ads based on those quotes. You know, we played the uh, the one of the rusty truck that the unions did against uh, oh, O'Toole yeah. there and the conservatives yeah, yeah, yeah. as well. So it's, it's similar. They'll just take, like, small things out of context and blow it up. And if you've empowered, you know, some of these companies and said that we invite you to, you know, create your judgment as a tech platform on the various stances that people are taking, yeah, you're going to be held to that standard too, buddy. You're not going to be left out yeah. of this.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Oh, boy. Um, I mean... Yeah,
0: so it's, it's, look, it's looking nice uh, to know that there's a, an election. It's, it's fairly short. Um, I know that we'll, we'll get uh, a little bit of fever, hopefully some uh, clips as well for next week, because uh, the, the end of August is coming. Uh, people are coming back from vacation a little bit, and there's definitely going to be a, some more issues to talk about. Uh, similar to that, David, uh, speaking of elections, there's another one in California, the recall election yes. of Governor Gavin Newsom. Uh, this is a, a big deal. Recall elections don't happen that often. I mean, California, I guess uh, I guess they have happened a good about in two decades. Uh, but he's getting slammed left, right, and center. Um, his pandemic policies are, are being put, you know, sort of on a, on a platter for everybody to criticize. Uh, someone like Larry Elder, fellow talk show, talk show host, seems to be in the running as, a, as an alternative. But uh, what do you think of this whole kind of recall thing? Because uh, people like um, Senator Warren, uh, they're saying it's anti-democratic.
1: I mean, it's it's pretty rich for her to say that a recall, which is literally citizens voting, whether or not to recall a governor, is anti-democratic given her involvement in the uh, impeachment process for Trump. I mean, certainly one is more democratic in the literal sense than the other, even if they're both valid or invalid. Um, so, I mean, I love seeing this. Uh, I, I think back to when Scott Walker beat a recall initiative in in Wisconsin. Um, I haven't followed it closely enough to know if Newsom has the legs here to, to take it home, but can you just imagine campaigning basically on the slogan of don't fire me? <laughs> Like, it's not like, hey, like, I'm running against person X and I'm better than them. It's like, no, hey, just please don't fire me. I'm not that bad. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so according to the polls, uh, looking at com, uh, which is a great resource basically for any election in the world. I think they do a, a good job. Uh, we're seeing that it's around 48.8% keep. Forty-seven point six percent remove. So pretty close. And thus far, the the remove hasn't uh, edged out at any point uh, throughout this campaign, but it's gotten fairly close. I think it was within point uh, two uh, just a few weeks ago. Uh, but there's probably going to be a bit uh, going to be a bit more. I know that the wildfires is a big consideration. Yeah. That's something that has been discussed a lot about. And uh, there's a, an article that I read in the Wall Street Journal about people actually debating uh, fire management. And one point that that a lot of scientists, I guess, are making is that we should focus less on fire management and actually focus on how to protect the homes. Oh. Like how actually we can make sure that there's a buffer between houses and forests, which I thought was interesting. Obviously, Mm. you're not going to stop wildfires, but I guess you can stop the damage that's being done. I mean, I don't know enough about it. Interesting. Uh,
1: We'll have to have a uh, wildfire expert on the show.
0: Yeah, I'm sure there'll be some, but you remember, actually, I think it was episode one or two of Consumer Choice Radio, we talked about the wildfires in Australia, and it was very similar in that the fire management policies, they were actually not allowed to do these prescribed Mm -hmm. burns, where they burn certain parts of the forest to make sure that the the fire can't leap uh, between the trees. Uh, What a surprise, Australia messing things (laughs) up. Uh, But yeah, the, the fire management stuff is really interesting, and obviously a big deal. In California, and I think out in, in uh, British Columbia they have similar problems. Is that right? Up in the they in the do, north? yeah.
1: It's it's pretty bad right now, um, especially I think in the area surrounding Kelowna. Um, I'm not sure what the the root cause of it is in terms of mismanagement or just freak accident, but um, yeah, it is it is one of those things that's very interesting because I took a course on this in university, and it broke down like all of the different ways in which you can ensure that these wildfires don't essentially like destroy entire towns. Um, and we don't really do much of any of it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, that's true. And it's similar as well to, uh, wildlife management. Like a a lot of people are, Uh you know, those who are anti gun and anti hunting, actually hunting serves a very important purpose in that you're actually managing populations, of these animals who otherwise would be, you know, taking over cities and towns and you'd have deer everywhere. You might have bears and, you know, I don't know, grizzly bears and cougars. I mean, there's plenty of cougars on the West coast, but there could be even more.
1: A similar thing happens in, in uh, certain African game reserves where they issue a certain amount of tags for some of the animals and the money raised for those tags is what, pays the salaries of the the rangers who fight the poachers and so by like creating this system they actually protect the animals from poachers as opposed to having something where they're completely unguarded um, and unprotected and then you have people taking those awkward photos with like a giant elephant. Are you talking about the
0: dentist who killed Cecil the lion yeah. and that became a big <laughs> a big thing? This guy was actually I think that was one of the most unpopular articles of all time. So Somebody I mean like, "Well, he was actually doing the local economy a favor." And I was like,
1: "No." Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I do remember that. I wonder if he's still a dentist.
0: Well, I remember that um, you know, we're we're big on consumer ratings and and all these rating websites. I remember his his site, I don't know if it was on Google or you know, what's the other one? Yelp. Uh, but his dental clinic basically had to shut down. He had so many negative reviews. <laughs> Not as if these people yeah. had fillings or anything. Come on. <laughs> but yeah, we're into we're yeah. into this kind of thing. We're into the, you know, the mob mentality. And um, yeah, we, I don't I don't remember. Uh, there's probably a couple of mob, social media mobs that are happening at the moment. I haven't caught any. But uh, David, we got an interview uh, sliced up for segment two. Tell us what that's all about before we go to break.
1: Yeah, very excited uh, for our next guest. Uh, her name is Zara Sultani. She is an Afghan refugee, a senior consultant with Loyalist Public Affairs, um, someone certainly with her ear to the ground in regards to what is currently unfolding in Afghanistan. Uh, so stay tuned for that interv- interview to hear her insights on what is going on.
0: Perfect. We'll be right back after this.
1: And we're back on Consumer Choice Radio, coming to you on Saga 960 AM in the Peel region and the Big Talker 106.7 FM out of Wilmington, North Carolina. I have the pleasure of interviewing our next guest, uh, who is an Afghan refugee herself and a senior consultant with Loyalist Public Affairs, Zara Soltani. Thank you very much for joining us on Consumer Choice Radio. Thank you for having me. So, I mean, you have your own uh, attachment um, and, and perspective that's unique to many of us um, being a, a refugee yourself, but um, just give our listeners a bit of a backstory on your experience leaving Afghanistan, um, what that was like for your family when they left and things like that.
2: So when my parents left Afghanistan, I wasn't born yet. Um, my father um and my mom and uh, some of my relatives left Afghanistan last time Taliban came around. So um, it, it, it's funny to, 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 for me to now see others leave because once again, Taliban has um, taken Afghanistan. Um, that was back in 1980s, my family um, or late, late, late 80s when my family left. Kabul to Iran and that's where I was born I was born and raised as an Afghan refugee Mm -hmm. Um, living in Iran as an Afghan refugee had its own um, challenges made life difficult so eventually we were able to move to Canada Um, and I'm grateful for that because um, obviously we get here the kind of opportunities and um, and the kind of life that we couldn't have had anywhere else yep. in Middle East.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, and
2: in, in Iran, sorry, n- not in Iran and not in Afghanistan.
1: Yeah, of course, of course. Yeah, I mean it's um, just different different levels uh, of oppression, um, varying between between those two countries. So, I mean, obviously, um, everyone has seen on the news that that Joe Biden has. Um, begun the withdrawal there were all sorts of horrific images um, on television of people trying to flee to the airport women passing uh, babies over to to soldiers to to attempt to give them away so that they could be taken outside of afghanistan given that the taliban has has taken kabul um from your perspective what is your take on the withdrawal how it was done um, whether that be President Joe Biden's response or in Canada with Justin Trudeau's uh, response, or in my opinion, somewhat of a, la- a lack of response or very delayed response.
2: Yeah, so um, starting with what the local um, sort of Afghans experienced, I have I still have family and a lot of friends who are artists, journalists, um, authors, poets, Inkable, and um, the way this withdrawal was conducted um, obviously allowed for Taliban to take over Afghanistan and the major major cities in such a such a short period of time. It even surprised those living in Afghanistan, and you know, um, people, my friends, who you know they've 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 been through. Some of them have been through suicide bombings, and they've, they've, they've seen it all. But there's, there's very little that surprises them, I think. But um, they, they're telling me that they were caught, um, they were blindsided, and they were completely surprised by how the withdrawal happened and how quickly Taliban were able to take over the whole country. Um, and I think that speaks to um, and obviously, after that, reading um, getting other perspectives and hearing um, you know uh, interviews with retired forces and mm-hmm. other forces who've 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 spoken to the withdrawal and how it was conducted, obviously, um, there's there's a sense that this was a real failure in terms of how the withdrawal was executed um but yeah, also I,
1: there is i was gonna say it's one of those things where at the very least you would have expected a very well executed plan to evacuate all of those who helped canadian or u.s armed forces during the war because those people are the ones who are at extreme risk if they stay in Afghanistan. But all of these reports make it seem as if they forgot that they were there and now are left kind of trying to pick up the pieces in terms of who they need to get out and how they get them out and how are we going to get the planes there?
2: Yeah, I, and I'm getting even from, you know, the, the press, the pressers by President Biden, I'm, I'm getting a sense of indifference towards um, how uh, what's happening there and I imagine he probably had the same sense of the, the same indifference towards indifference towards how the withdrawal was uh, going to take place. And um, like many have pointed out, uh, you don't give up your most strategic base in the entire mm-hmm. country before you get your at least before getting your diplomats and your citizens out, right? Um, Bagram air, air Base was so strategic um, from many perspectives, but also um, just for 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 NATO and for America to have to have that complete control over that over that air base. Um, I'm just I'm just thinking, you know, how beneficial that would be and how helpful that would be right now. With the situation we see in um, in Kabul Airport, mm-hmm. um, and we see right now all these different countries and all these different um, forces are running, um, you know, because because of that, you know, thousands and thousands of people just behind the gates of airport and and the and the Taliban um, security gates, mm-hmm. um, which prevents a lot of people, which which again, I hear from the locals there, they prevent a lot of people, especially younger people to um, leave the country. Because of all those, um, those uh, hurdles now, we see these individual forces going out to uh, rescue, for rescue missions, to get people through the gates and um, through that massive number of Civilians outside of the gates to get them to the airplanes. Um, obviously, having you know a second um, airbase, having Bagram would have been so helpful in this case. It would have literally saved thousands of lives. I mean, that's just one simple example of how um, terribly this withdrawal. Um, has been executed because you know you 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 want to have um if you know you're you're completely getting your forces out and you have diplomats and you have people at risk that worked for you and helped you out you want to have a few options at least for them to get out of the country Mm because right now it's just it's completely chaotic they have no control over um the forces have very little control over who gets through and who doesn't and um they don't they, they're they're doing this from a very weak position right and that's what's um hurting them in in saving more people and yeah. saving American citizens
1: yeah it's one of those things where it's like you would assume not only would they want multiple exit points um but one that was secure um obviously the the Bagram airport would be far more secure and controlled um, as opposed to what we're seeing um, in kabul um, my my next question for you is really what happens next um so some have have kind of posed the question if we're on the verge of another refugee crisis um similar to syria do you see that kind of unfolding i mean initial uh, numbers at the gates um, would suggest that that's likely, um, but I'm not sure if you have a different ear to the ground as to um, the extent to which um, ordinary Afghan people will flee um, much as they did in, in Syria.
2: So in terms of um, just comparing the two situations, like I don't know how successful Afghans actually will be will be to flee the country because they're surrounded by on one side there's Pakistan and Iran that have very you know hostile um, hostile governments of their own and 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 the borders aren't exactly um, the best to cross and on on the north side you know they have Uzbekistan Tajikistan so um, it's it's in a way it's it's sad because they're kind of they're kind of stuck in that with that geography that the the advantage Syrians had was like you know being close to Europe and being close to um, mm-hmm. countries that they could actually go through. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't I I don't know if we're going to see that same um, sort of you know, flock of refugees coming out of the country, trying to um, uh, to, to to go to, um, you know, other countries. And, and the other question is like, where would they go, right? They would, they have to go so far, mm-hmm. they would have to go so, so far to get to a place that they would actually want to, you know, um, become a refugee. And because again, like the situation in Iran, Pakistan, and and the other countries uh, um, that they're surrounded by aren't exactly ideal.
1: Yeah, they're Um, not safe. They're not, they're not, um, they're not countries that are necessarily safe to try and pass through on route to legitimately safe countries.
2: No, and um, to answer the other part of your question about how, how the Afghans there feel And uh, what what is the mindset, what is the thinking right now? I can tell you um, from speaking to like directly to individual families and friends who have lived there their entire life, you know, they didn't even get out the last time Taliban was around. Mm -hmm. And this time around, they're just they just want to get out. Mm -hmm. And that's every single person that I speak to. They're the most patriotic people from from the most patriotic people to the most traditional people um, that I know in Afghanistan. They're just they're just done with it, and everybody. I can tell you that if those people are looking for a way out, then I would say everybody who's not Taliban is trying to get out.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, I mean, it begs the question of what countries like um, Canada and the United States can do, I would certainly be of the persuasion that we should do more um, in terms of helping these people flee, and I know a lot of people have been like, well, they need to be processed and all of that stuff, and those are all valid concerns, but in, in quoting um, Aaron O'Toole when he was talking about the folks who worked for our armed forces, he said, well, let's just get, a, get them out of there and sort the paperwork out after. Let's focus as safe with safety as the number one priority for these folks and figure out the processing of this after the fact, whether it means they end up in Qatar or coming directly to countries like Canada and the United States. Basically, load them up onto the planes, get them away from, from this atrocious regime, and figure out the paperwork after the fact because ultimately so many of these people who stay, especially if they worked with... NATO forces are likely to be killed if caught. Um, And so I'm curious, just in the the last few minutes we have, last minute here, um, if if you're of the opinion as well that we should do more in terms of helping these folks get to safe countries, whether that be Canada, the United States or otherwise. Yeah,
2: absolutely. I mean, uh, we see that uh, UK completely, you know, publicly said it that we don't even require the Afghan passport because so many Afghans or mm-hmm. like families of the interpreters or, or, or NATO uh, uh, employees, they, they, they did their families didn't have passports mm-hmm. and you know with offices and banks and everything closed, they're unable to really get to that. So mm-hmm. I completely agree. We have a lot of air bases around that um, in that region that they can get to. Um, unfortunately, Canada has been so focused on the bureaucracy, whether it was to get the planes into Kabul to like get people out,
1: mm-hmm. and
2: we saw there were concerns about seatbelts and whatnot. It's 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 insane when you're trying to save, you know, literally thousands and thousands of lives mm-hmm. to be to be um, occupied with that sort of thing. We have the resources; we can get them to air bases and then process it
1: to work afterwards. Well, Zara, I really appreciate you joining us. Um, we'll certainly have you on the show again as this uh, continues to unfold. And uh, yeah, thank you.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: And welcome back to Consumer Choice Radio, uh, coming to you on Saga 960 in the Peel region and the Big Talker. FM uh, out of Wilmington, North Carolina. Yael, uh, you had some things you wanted to chat about in terms of Consumer Corner. Um, Maybe some new services or products that uh, have piqued your interest.
0: Yeah, definitely. There's a couple. uh, We had on a few weeks ago Tim Frost uh, of Yield.app. Sort of, this is a cryptocurrency. Uh, platform whereby people can earn interest and do loans and all types of things. Uh, So we heard about that. It was interesting. It's it's still kind of in beta. Uh, But for those who are interested in cryptocurrencies in general, who are learning about it, who would like to learn more, I guess I've got some recommendations of things I've played with uh, the last couple of weeks. Uh, This recent one is uh, actually Crypto.com. It's actually a Hong Kong company. A very good app they have a whole exchange platform they've got uh, the decentralized finance and really what it comes down to is it's a kind of decentralized bank where you can trade different currencies you can trade bitcoin or ethereum or cardano or any of these other coins you can put them in a little mini savings account where you can stake it for one month two months three months And then you get a various percentage on it. You know, sometimes it's as low as 2%, but some of them are as high as 11%, actually, per year. Oh, not bad. Uh, So, yeah, it's actually much more interesting than your traditional banks, which are not offering much in terms of interest savings accounts. Uh, But this app is very, I would say, it's very user-friendly. It's something that's fun. They gamify it a bit. You know, they have nice-looking charts and graphics. Uh, you're able to track the prices of the various coins. And they have this, this feature whereby they offer a debit card where you can actually take all of the crypto money, whether you have $5 you know, dollars or you know, 1500 you can put that on this Visa card, and you can use that at the gas pump or at the grocery store or to get your hair cut. And it's a practical way that you can actually use cryptocurrency in real life. And I think it's really interesting. They offer all types of these plans for beginning investors, for beginning people who are just finding out about the cryptocurrency scene and learning about things like Bitcoin and Ethereum and NFTs. So it's it's a very good platform for that. I would say that more of these platforms are going to come online, specifically as people get let down by the banks. You know, we we know what's happening with the banking sector in the U.S. We know that Canada only has a limited number of banks, you don't have all that competition, you don't really have uh, these great accounts that offer you savings, the ability to transfer into cryptocurrencies. And guess what, the transactions don't take weeks, they're immediate. That's probably the coolest part of this.
1: Well, I mean, yeah, you mentioned Canada and what's available here, we don't even have Venmo.
0: Um... Now, if you Yeah, actually, that's a good question. If you are at dinner, uh-huh. and you're sharing a meal uh, with someone, and you want to split the bill. What is the easiest way in order to do so using any apps? Go, is that yeah, possible? Yeah, you go
1: into your banking app, to app, and you e-transfer from. So you
0: do an interact.
1: Yeah, an interact e-transfer. What you pay for, um, it can be made a little easier if the person who you're sending the money to has like automatic deposits, so you don't have to exchange passwords. Um, but there's a process to go through and like actually add the person. Um, so I remember being in the U.S. and sitting pre-COVID, sitting down at a bar and people just whipping out their phones to split a bill, and there's like tap, 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 and the bill was split. And it's like, whoa, what just happened here? <laughs> in order for me to do that, I gotta like I got emails and two-factor authentication for each one, and text messages I gotta write codes for. And it's like, whoa, this is, this is pretty cool. And then I looked into it. Great product. It just wasn't available in, in Canada. Uh, I still don't think Yeah, and is.
0: Venmo, I believe, is a PayPal property. Mm-hmm. Um, another one I've used in the U.S. is Cash App, uh, which is actually owned by, wouldn't you know it, Jack Dorsey mm-hmm. of uh, Twitter mm-hmm. fame. Uh, yeah. And uh, Cash App as well is great. Uh, my sister went to the mall for me to try to pay for my tuxedo. And, um wasn't able to because the tuxedo rental industry is a—I uh, don't want to say it's a racket, David. Oh, it certainly—but is. it's pretty close to a racket.
1: Yeah, <laughs> uh, it certainly is. It, you, they, you get absolutely gouged, and if you show up you like get eight hosed. minutes late, you're paying an extra two hundred and fifty dollars, and it's just a disaster. Yeah,
0: and, and for me, it's just that I'm—I'm I'm just look. I'll say it. I'm at Men's Warehouse, and. They're not able to take measurements and put them into the computer unless you order it right away. They don't have a system or a mechanism. It's too complicated. They can't just write it down on a piece of paper. Long story short, my sister had to go. She wasted probably, you know, an hour there. So I sent her, you know, $8 uh, on Cash App for a smoothie so she could at least get that at the <laughs> mall and go back home and be satisfied. Uh, but you're right with these apps, you know, in the in, in at least in Europe, You know, we have instantaneous transfers you can do through the IBAN system. Uh, But there are innovative banks like N26, uh, which are actually launching in the US, and I believe soon Canada. And they do offer direct payments very quickly. I mean, I I use this sometimes, and it's super fast. So who knows? You know, you could have reform around the corner.
1: Yeah, well, yeah, that would be good. Um, I have another cool product that I tried for the first time. Um, You and I talk about alcohol a lot. Um, beyond hard seltzers, the alcohol market can be pretty stale, um, with big players kind of controlling the scene. So, I got—I I went to, to university with a guy who started this brewery that is on route to being carbon negative, um, which I thought was quite interesting. So, I tasted the beer. The, the beer is great. It's the brewery is called Carbon Brewing, Carbon spelled with a K. Um, And the process in which they actually make the beer, like I'll give you an example where you take the barley and the grains and whatever, um, usually that stuff, once it's done fermented, they throw it out. But these guys will throw it in like an industrial biodegrader, capture all of the methane gas, then canister the methane gas and use that to heat the kilns. And so it's like by being super efficient and trying to capture everything um they're able to actually create a a product that's pretty pretty competitive on price and just pretty cool um the way i looked at it i was like oh okay this is new and i mean i I don't know if you're like me but when you try when people come out with new beers and someone's like oh this is the best beer ever it's like uh -uh. i mean beer's been around for a long time it's probably not the best beer ever but this was a pretty good beer um, so it's a pretty good beer, and it uh, has this cool innovative technology kind of locked into the, the production process, which I thought was was quite cool. So we'll probably actually have to chat with the, the CEO of that company at some point and hear what's going on there in terms of uh, green or, or sustainable brewing.
0: And I'm sure they did this because of a, a government rule that the uh, breweries need to be uh, X, Y, energy efficient. Is that right, David?
1: Actually, I don't think so. I don't. I think that. No, no, no.
0: That's why. That's my point. Is it's like awesome innovation that's happening oh. on its own. <laughs> Jesus, I was trying to. I was trying to <laughs> tee you up.
1: <laughs> oh, good. Yeah. No, no, you're right. Yeah. These guys are just going out, going about it just because they're passionate about creating the the a process that's more sustainable, um, which is cool. It, I mean, also nice to. It, it, it's it's not it, like you said it's not part of um, some mandate where the government says that all beer production has to be X by a certain date, like Biden has done with electric vehicles. But yeah, so that's a, that's a cool one. Um, I'm not sure if you have anything else in your consumer corner.
0: My consumer corner, uh, oh god, a lot of things, man. Really, one thing that I've I've really enjoyed. <laughs> this is going to sound very strange to. Many North Americans is I've really enjoyed my ice cube maker machine. Oh, so I do not have a fridge that has the you know included little nozzle where you can take your glass and hit it and then automatically fills with ice cubes. Uh Those don't exist where I live, unfortunately. The apartments uh, were a bit small, and I had to buy an ice cube maker machine. So ordered one on Amazon, looked at all the reviews, got one. And that thing is running day and night, baby. I've got ice cubes all the time. Fill it right yeah. up to the brim, and it's delicious.
1: And I mean, how big is this? Like, Does it take up a lot of space?
0: All right. Well, actually, it's about the size of a printer, let's say, like a normal Epson printer. Oh, that's not you too know, bad. It's maybe a bit higher. But, yeah, I mean, it's it'll take up some space in your kitchen, so it's best to, to put it somewhere that's a bit out of the way. But to, to have ice cubes like that, especially in our house where we have no air conditioning it really helps uh, well, you don't yeah. often have that type of innovation so Europe, very europe's, happy for that
1: europe's got to figure out that the whole ac thing they got to get with the times and start putting ac in people's houses in restaurants i remember the one time we were in brussels at a restaurant eating at a relatively nice restaurant it was like 36 degrees in the restaurant um
0: celsius yeah <laughs> i mean
1: not not great not great.
0: You talked I mean you talked before about, you know, the greatest beer ever. I mean, most of the breweries here that I know, they've been around since like the sixteen and seventeen hundreds, right? So if you go to any of those breweries, you think these guys have air conditioning? <laughs> no way. <laughs> you know, these buildings have been around for hundreds of years. It's most it mostly comes down to that. It's the cost of installing air conditioning and everything else. Sometimes it's the kind of argument that I know is made sometimes in Canada that, well, we only need it for a couple months anyway, uh, so we'll brave it. Um, Summers can be pretty intense, too, uh, both in Canada and here, and we've had a couple heat waves. uh, But it's just something you do, man. That's why I think, uh, at least in Central Europe, whenever it's summertime, people just get out of the cities, you know, get away from the, the land heat effect, I believe it's called, and go out to the countryside, try to go in the mountains or something.
1: Yep yeah yeah i don't blame you i mean canadians do the same thing to a certain extent up to camping cottages all that jazz um i assume actually i know that it's the same in in the north carolina south carolina area where people are out to the lakes or the outer banks um and so yeah it's uh that's actually what i'll be doing next week is disappearing to the wilderness up north um very excited about that very excited about that i know that you're um away in the Austrian countryside, which um I have a lot of stereotypes running through my head when I hear Austrian countryside.
0: <laughs> oh, I bet you do. The hills are alive <laughs> with the sound of music. Uh,
1: yeah, pretty much.
0: Yeah, I'd I'd say so. No, yeah, but it's it's just like any other place. I mean, uh looking at Austria and, and the countryside, it's you got the big mountains out west, you've got, you know, sort of your Foothill areas, if anyone has ever been to Italy, it's somewhat similar. You know, you have had a couple farms and some homes and some rolling hills. uh, But it's nice and cool. And uh, one thing that's crazy, David, is I actually just saw my first American tourist uh, the other day at the Starbucks, wouldn't you know it? And was he not baffled when he was asked for his vaccine pass in order to sit inside the Starbucks?
1: I assume he had it.
0: He was flummoxed.
1: Did he have it?
0: Yeah, oh, okay, he did. Okay. Cause, so, in order to enter the EU, uh, I think pretty much everyone can enter now, but you need, do need to have that vaccine pass. So, you need either the two shots or the one Johnson Johnson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't think they allow the Chinese shots or anything, but uh, he, he was a bit flummoxed. He's like, oh, okay. And he had to go through his wallet and whip out his card. And I felt for the guy. It's like, man, if you only knew my life. Uh, I mean, I hear these complaints about the vaccine passport, and I get it, and I share that mentality, but. At this point, every time I want to go to a restaurant or a cafe or anywhere to sit down, or if you're spending more than five minutes, here's this one. I went to the amusement park on Saturday, David. Uh Amusement park, outside, fun. There's just a ride where you go spinning around. I was asked for my vaccine pass to get on this ride.
1: But it's outside.
0: It's outside. Of course it is. Oh, that's weird. And what's the justification? Well, you know, people open their mouths and they're screaming. I don't know but i had to show the guy that i was vaccinated in order to uh well they have the 3g rule. so it's either uh, you are tested negative uh-huh. you have the vaccine or you've recovered from covid recently
1: oh that's an interesting one because that usually isn't included that third one
0: No, here if you have a medical certificate stating that you've recovered then then you're good to go
1: yeah okay that makes i mean that's i mean that's per, that's better than most places most places the like i don't think canada has a distinction for that there's no way like there's no uh distinction for like oh okay you overcame covid three weeks ago so you're
0: good but now anyway they're talking about getting rid of it so we'll see guys Hope, uh, hope you guys are doing well great episode here of consumer choice radio david it was a pleasure as always
1: yeah yeah until next week uh we'll talk to you soon and uh enjoy enjoy the weather
0: That does it for Consumer Choice Radio. Thank you for joining us for the hour and for all the other past shows and archives. Check with Consumer Choice Radio for much more. Consumer Choice Radio, hosted by Yael Asosky and myself, David Clement,
1: is a syndicated weekly conversation featuring the latest news, interviews, and expert analysis that covers consumer topics from around the world, focusing on innovation, tech, Regulatory Policy and Science. Tune in every week
0: to learn why consumer choice matters. You can find all of our previous episodes, interviews, and show notes over on consumerchoiceradio.com as well as the podcast version of this show. And as always, be sure to subscribe and rate us wherever you do listen to your podcasts. You can follow us on Twitter at ConsumerCradio myself at Y-A-E-L-O-S-S, and David at Clement Liberty, and find our interviews on YouTube and Instagram just looking up Consumer Choice Radio. If there is a consumer issue affecting you that you think that we should cover, email
1: us directly at hello at consumerchoiceradio.com. Thank you again for listening. can judge